Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So I said, here we are, and it's like, here I am, um, <laughs> in my Jamaica t-shirt. Man, as we talk about teaching so often, I get with the guys, we've got our third discipleship group coming to an end in the next two weeks. And this discipleship group is just really excited about what the Lord has planned for them, planned for us, in terms of our growth and maturity and you know, as I stand here, I tell the guys all the time, because they say, you know what, I can't teach because I'm too nervous. I'll go to, I'll, I'll fall to, I, I won't be able to speak like Moses. I say that you're in good company because every time I get up to speak, I feel exactly the same. Bag of nerves and so be encouraged, fellas, as you see us who teach model and kind of set an example. Um, and honestly, we're not lying when we say that it's, it's terrifying to stand before God's people. And there's me trying to get lighthearted talking about my Jamaica t-shirt. Um, and that's the reason why sometimes we do things like this, <laughs> to try and master nerves. But um, yeah, Jamaica t-shirt. Can I, I just big up all the yardies still? Um, <laughs> definitely. And everyone else who's from different ethnic backgrounds, because it's about the kingdom of God, amen. It's about every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. But I say big up the artist because um, there's, an, there's, a, there's a particular gentleman who's here today, and he's Jamaican, and he's visiting for his first time, and he's also my uncle. And so I just want to welcome my uncle Shirley, just joining with us today. Um, as you can see, I'm in my shorts, getting ready for Jamaica. It's hot out there, right? Um, it's, it's my aim to preach and teach in my shorts. Not for any other reason apart from the fact that they're practical. I mean, it's warm now, but this ain't nothing compared to the kind of heat that's in Jamaica on a regular, consistent basis. Um, yet, as I stand probably in a pulpit in shorts, some may have a problem with that. And so I ask that you'd pray for us while we're out there, because it's more than just being socially beneficial, which is so vital and important, but we're we're aiming to be spiritually beneficial. And you're probably aware that Jamaica is steeped in religion, bondage, and tradition. And our, our aim, our hope, our desire is that, that they would experience Christ and liberty and freedom. Amen? And um, if my shorts are offensive to you today, I'm really going to get myself in trouble now. Because check it. Lord, you are the God who is higher than the top. You can't fall, you can't drop. You can't rust, you can't rot. I can't stop, you're so great. You never make a mistake. You can't crumble nor flake. You put your very own existence at stake when you came and descended like rain and the man you became incarnated in flesh for the purpose of death. 
without the heavenly team, still held in the highest esteem, exploded the scene, appeared for sinful man to redeem, forget the cream, because Christ rules everything around me. Now, you know that's old school lyrics, right? Forget the cream, like written back in 1990 or something. Forget the cream, because Christ rules everything around me, within every single territory, every boundary. His love astounds me like high-tech sounds surround me. I was lost and bound, yet he freed me when he found me. Most R&B don't arouse me. It's frowsy, like a rusty old tin lid. It smells rancid, you know what I mean? The whole music industry is unclean and controlled by a realm which is unseen. Yo, you know the second law, thermodynamic, affecting the planet and all who inhabit. Understand it, you need to panic, like fire's ravaging, it's double damaging. The devil's on the prowl ravishing, but our church shines like halogen. You know the score, yeah. Have to keep it burning 24. Heaven's door, describing a place I've never been before. There's plenty more room, even though Christ will be coming soon. It's late at night. Quick, jump aboard before you miss the flight. Through Christ, I'm perfect in his sight. His law is my delight. Man's out there trying to keep it tight. We're keeping it right. The darkness will never overcome the light. Satan trying to grapple Christ is like Superman gripping kryptonite. Cross the bridge tonight, because Christ will surely give tonight our... Uh, Wish you'd open up your heart and start to live tonight. Lord, pierce through the darkness. I pray the world will hearken this. You're truly sparking this. You set me alight like an arsonist. Back to the issue at hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just your greatness and your goodness and the fact that we're here, Lord, and the fact that, more importantly, you're here. Thank you that we're two or three gathered together in your name, Lord. You promised that you would be there in the midst. And in the midst, Lord, with a desire to bless, with a desire to benefit. And um, we ask that you'd help us to get ourselves, not geographically, but, Lord, spiritually, allow us to get our hearts in the right place, Lord, where we might be able to really just receive from you today, Lord, all that you have for us. And um, we thank you that you're good. You are God and you are light and in you is no darkness at all. And so we thank you that we can... We can be encouraged that you have a desire to give us good things, like a good parent, but so much more. Thank you for this time, and um, just thank you for your, your mercy, Lord, that's new every morning. Amen. Amen. Now, my name's Robert. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel, South London, and we are going for a journey looking at the history of the book of, history of the early church looking through the book of Acts, and our topic today, as you probably, possibly may have remembered, last week we didn't get to finish, because um, it was hot and it was long, so we're going to try and finish battered and scattered um, today, it's part two, continuation of last week, and we're going to be looking at verse, hopefully verse one through eight of chapter eight, if you would turn there with me, I'm going to start reading. <clears throat> Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. 
And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Arriving at chapter 8, I reminded you last week that we were in the second section of the book of Acts, the second section of the book of Acts. And apart from the first section, which we've already dealt with, chapter 1 through 7, get used to this chart because we're going to look at it from time to time. We are in this section, which is chapter 8 through 9, particularly looking at the expansion of the church into Samaria and beyond. The expansion of the church into Samaria and beyond. And we've spent four weeks this week just in these first few verses. Last week we had a look at chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1 through to verse 4. I'll just read them to refresh our memories. Um, but this particular section is so vital for us to understand and appreciate, particularly in, t- in the time that we're living, because as you know, the book of Acts doesn't really close, it continues. It continues, and so this is a very important um, section for us to appreciate as we understand and see how the gospel began to move from that central place in Jerusalem, as the Lord Jesus said, as it says in chapter 1, verse 8, from Jerusalem out into Judea, then further out into Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. And one of the things I tried to recap last time was the the first two messages, and the first one was... God has an agenda. We sometimes conveniently forget this. Without time to go into it, because that's what messed me up last week. The second thing that we looked at in that second week at the beginning of chapter 8 was growth. Whoops. Was growth and motion. Growth and motion. The need for, for both of those things. Growth and and motion in our Christian experience. So vital. And we saw how all of these elements were displayed in this newly found, this newly planted church at Jerusalem. We noted that the church, as you just saw, is not a building. But the church is a a collected and assembled people group. So vital to understand and appreciate that. A group that, that grew and continued to grow over the decades and over the last two millennia. Bringing us to our time period. And we selected one person. It was a woman. From this group of collected individuals, one One person, one woman, we chose to look at, we chose, I chose to look at from this group of people called the church. And she is a 20th century or 20th slash 21st century disciple because she was born in the last century and she's still alive today by the grace of God. She's a modern missionary. Her name's Helen Rosevere. And we use her as an example of a modern disciple. She was a medical missionary 
to the Congo, which I believe is now called Zaire. And she was a woman who gave up her life. She gave up her life in order that others might benefit. Now you remember last week I showed you two clips. One was her, bi her biography, and the second one was her actually speaking about her experience as a missionary at 82 years of age. I've got one more clip. We ran out of time last week. I've got one more clip I want to show you. Look at this. Um, listen to this amazing testimony by this amazing lady. As well as organizing the school, another part of Helen's work was supervising the maternity unit. Day and night, expectant mothers arrived from the villages. Often there were emergencies requiring surgery. Sleepless nights and perpetual tiredness became a way of life. But occasionally, something very special happened. This reminds me of a story, and I hadn't been out here very long. I was called over one night to the maternity, and despite everything we did very sadly, the mother died. We were left with a little tiny baby, much smaller than this little thing, little premature baby. And I knew that the problem to keep the little baby alive was to keep it warm enough. So people midwives, one went out to get the boxes we used to use as cots, the cotton wool to wrap the little baby in, put hot water bottles either side of it to keep it warm. And one girl came back into the room and said, terribly sorry, doctor, we boiled the kettle, we took the hot water bottle, we were filling the bottle, sudden bang, burst hot water bottle. And she added, it's our last hot water bottle. And the next day at midday, I went to have prayers with the orphanage children, as I always did, any of the kiddies who wanted gathered around for prayer time. And uh, I'd given them different things to pray for. And then I mentioned this little baby and asked them to pray for the nurses that they'd be able to stay awake all night to see the baby didn't get cold. Told them about the burst hot water bottle. And the baby had a little two-year-old sister who was crying because her mummy had died. So during prayer time, different children prayed. And then one little girl, 10-year-old Ruth, prayed in the usual very blunt way of our African children, please God, send us a hot water bottle. Now God, be no good tomorrow, please send it this afternoon. And when I sort of swallowed, uh, she added, while you're about it, God, would you send a dolly to the little two-year-old sister so that she'll know that Jesus really loves her? Quite truthfully, I, I didn't say amen because I didn't believe it could be done. And that very afternoon, a truck drove into the village, dumped a parcel for me on the veranda and went. And when I got over to my home, it was the first parcel I ever received from England. There it was, done up in paper, string, stamps, etc. And I think I felt a lump in my throat. I felt I couldn't open it alone, so I called all the orphanage children. With a great crowd around me, we opened the parcel, we pulled out lovely knitted jerseys, bandages, soap, and as I put my hand down into the parcel, I pulled out the brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I hadn't asked God for it. I didn't really believe he could do it. Ruth was in the front line of children. She rushed forward, said, if God sent the hot water bottle, he must have sent the dolly. And she dived into the parcel with both hands. From the bottom of the parcel, she pulled out the dolly. And she looked up at me with bright eyes. Mommy, she said, can I go with you and give that dolly to the little girl? She'll know that Jesus really loves her. Have you, heard, have you ever heard anything like that in your life? I show that with reference to what we talked about last week in regard to the importance of recognizing that as a Christian, you are on a mission. Now, whether you're on a mission to somewhere like the Congo, Zaire, or you're like Hudson Taylor, you go to China, and 
like Hudson Taylor, you don't go to the periphery, right? That's the, the outside of China, kind of where it's nice and on the beach and even, us, even though that's where we're going in Jamaica. Um, he said, no, I'm not going to stay on the outskirts. He says, we're going to take the gospel inland. And, and there began the first inland mission to China. We're being exposed to these type of individuals to help us to remember that our comfort zone is not necessarily where God desires for us to continue. And you may be called to go overseas, and that's wonderful. That's your calling. You may be called, like Pastor Ephraim said, to London. You may be called to the Urbanites. Like, I've felt called for the past 15 years. That's why we, we used rap music. That's why we used hip-hop. Not because we're enamored with it. We can take it or leave it. It's a means to an end. We're not overcome by the method. But that's what it is. It's a, and it's, how many of you know it's a good method? It's a good tool to use. I'm saying you may be called here. You may be called to local missions. But wherever it is, near or far, across the Atlantic or right here or across the street, you need to realize that you are here on a mission. And I show that just to help us appreciate God's call on our lives with regard to the Great Commission. Now... Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliot, another martyr, modern missionary martyr who lost his life for the gospel. May God inspire us and encourage us to lay down our lives, if need be, literally. Normally, it's not going to mean that. It's not going to take you, you laying down your life, literally. But, as it says in the book of Revelation, we must be prepared to do that. It says they overcame, didn't they? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We can all quote that part. What about, how about the piece after that? How does the next part go? Hmm. It says they love their lives, not even unto the death. So, here we are still summarizing. Then, <laughs> after looking at those clips, we began to talk about the three things that I didn't finish. The three things that happened as a result of Stephen's death, the result of Stephen's martyrdom. The first thing was there was a great persecution. The word in Greek is mega. There was a mega. Now we understand that. That don't even need definition. There was a mega or a great persecution. We see that in verse 1. The second thing that we see is that they were, after the persecution hit, what happened? They were strewn or sprinkled or spread or scattered. It says in verse 1 and in verse 4, they were battered and they were scattered. 
Now, in trying to stomp out the fire of Christianity, the church's persecutors had actually ended up simply spreading its embers, starting churches like little fires everywhere, and those fires would grow. Like Joseph in Egypt, they meant it for evil, and the Lord turned it around for good, remember? Can you see a similar pattern in your life? Can you see a similar pattern in your life where stuff begins to go horribly wrong? And the first inclination is, boy, I'm a Christian. Lord, I'm your child. Why on earth would all this drama be happening in my life? Right, if we're honest. Can you see a similar pattern in your life where things just begin to go horribly wrong? Things are not going right. Things are not going the way that you would desire. Well, don't be surprised, beloved. (laughs) Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice in as much as you are a partaker of Christ's joy. We get to enjoy his joy, but no, partaker of his sufferings, like Helen Rosevere mentioned last week. Luke then says in verse 1, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. He says they were all scattered. This is one of what very often comes across as a contradiction. You know, often the the Muslims want to point out the quote-unquote contradictions in the Bible. Because that's what it seems like, but it's not. See, here Luke says they were all scattered. But he doesn't mean all in total. We know that he didn't because he immediately mentions an exception, which is the apostles. They stayed behind. But Luke is referring to the great majority, probably the Hellenistic Greek-speaking Jews like Philip, who we're going to be introduced to in a little while, but we're going to meet properly next week. Like, Like Stephen, who got martyred, Philip was a deacon. And again, probably Greek speaking. These that get scattered, these are those who make up this group that is dispersed. Probably Greek speakers taking the good news to other now Greek speaking Jews. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was with his disciples? He said, don't go to anyone apart from the Jews. We saw that a few weeks ago. Then we see Jews not just going to Hebrew-speaking Jews, but now we see them going to another category of Jews. They're going now to Greek-speaking Jews, and in a little while we're going to see them go to individuals who are not even Jewish. And there's a progression and there's a pattern. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered... After the persecution arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So they're going to consistently keep this up until a particular point. Now, it says the apostles stayed behind. The apostles probably stayed behind because they were less likely to be persecuted as the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. 
because the ardent pharisaical Sanhedrin, they were like, obviously, out to get Jesus believers. But the particular and specific targets would be those Jews who are kind of like half Jews. You know what I'm saying? Those who weren't born in Israel come from different places, yet they were Jews, but they didn't even sound like Jews. They probably didn't even look like Jews. So it was easier for them to persecute them rather than the indigenous Jews. And they did, didn't they? That's why they took out Stephen. It was like nothing to take out Stephen because he was one of those Hellenistic Jews, even with a, a Greek name. Plus, the disciples or the apostle probably stayed um, behind because someone had to look after obviously the individuals or the, the, the believers who were left in Jerusalem and take care of them. So there's two reasons why the apostles probably remained in Jerusalem. Now verse 2 says, and devout men and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Devout men Probably Jews who were not Christians. Probably Jews who were not Christians who were devout or cautious Jews. They were good men. Men of conscience. Men of character. Like Simeon in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and what? Devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took him, that is Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, ultimately, eventually, and the glory of your people Israel. These men were conscientious Jewish men who probably were a little bit like Simeon, who were open to the truth but not necessarily converted. Truth that they had possibly heard from the lips of Stephen himself. They possibly could have come from that synagogue where Stephen was having that debate, if you like. Remember what it was called? The synagogue, the synagogue of the freed men. In the King James, it says the synagogue of the libertines. Maybe they were from that synagogue. Good, devout Jewish men who were now stating that they were no longer supporting the Sanhedrin, taking considerable personal risk, particularly in the, in the light of the present persecution. The present persecution, which we will now see highlighted in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering, check it, every house, he was leaving no stone unturned. Entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. To make havoc means to furiously assault and lay waste. 
This expresses a brutal and sadistic cruelty. Hailing, says the King James Version, or hauling, dragging the people out by force. Men as well as who? It'd be one thing to grab a man by the scruff of his neck and drag him down on it, like floor him and drag him out. But not just men, also hauling out, dragging out women. Then throwing them into prison. As opposed to and in contrast to these devout men, Saul, on the other hand, is hell-bent on genocide. Sounds like a strong word, right? Well, listen to Paul himself say in Acts chapter 22, verse 4 and 5, I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Saul begins to destroy the church. I nearly said the devil, I mean, Saul started to destroy the church. But I would have been right. But then I would have been wrong. Because it's both. We're going to come back to that. Oh, the painful progress of God's agenda. Is there pain in your experience as God works out his agenda in your life? Is there pain in your experience as God works out his purpose through your life? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will encounter pain, will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. But apart from all the pain, look at the beautiful outcome in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Not everyone went and was scattered and went complaining and murmuring. And I'm a king's kid. Wagwan. You know what I mean? Like you hear very often. Believers talk like chatting about, yo, I'm a king's kid. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed coming out. Like, where's my scepter and my throne? A lie? But the progress of God's agenda highlight God's, in inverted common, God's agenda, that comes with pain. It, it don't come with bling or shine. That will come. As we lay up our treasures, not here on earth, but up in heaven, amen? It's a completely different 
focus. It's a, it's a different agenda. And um, one that is, that is this one, the painful agenda is not so popular. It's the way of the cross and it's hard and it's straight and it's difficult and it's uphill often and it's lonely. A lie? But like Paul said in the, at the end of Second Timothy, he said, you know what, I'm, on, I'm being poured out and I've fought the good fight, I've run my race and I kept the faith. Therefore for me, there is laid up a crown of righteousness that the righteous king will give to me. And he says, I'm here at my last defense and he says, everyone has deserted me. Demas and some of the others I can't remember, they've all left me. And it's me, one, here, about to get my head chopped off. But, he said, the Lord stood with me. See, it's the way of the cross. That's what's up. That's what's Shelley, as my man said one time. Look at the beautiful outcome. And this is the outcome of you allowing that pain and that difficulty not to crush you, but to humble you and keep you in that place of dependence. And through that process of crushing, through that process of breaking, like the alabaster vase, out comes a wonderful scent, a wonderful perfume, the fragrance of Christ. Therefore, those who were scattered never went complaining, but they went preaching a different message. And it was the good news based on the good word of God. Now, this brings us to our third point, which if I'm not careful, I'm not going to get to. Our third, our third point The Christians were battered and scattered, and they that went did what? They were battered and scattered. It's real cheesy, what can I say? I know. Hey, it's cheesy, but it works. I lie. And you know what? This is going to help you to remember it. They were battered and scattered, and they went and they chattered. Typical MC, right? Old school at that. <laughs> Stephen's martyrdom brought a mega persecution which led to a great dispersion. And the great dispersion led to widespread evangelism. The scattered believers, or the scattering of Christians, was followed by the scattering of the good seed of the gospel. For those who had been scattered, as they fled, far from going into hiding, 
all being silent, they preached the word wherever they went. Up until this point, it was the apostles who were blazing. It was the apostles who were representing. It was the apostles who were taking the lead in the face of the violent threats. Now, however, as John Stott says, as the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, it was now general, regular believers who took up the evangelistic task. Not that they all became preachers or missionaries as a full-time vocation. The statement that they preached the word is misleading. The original Greek rendering doesn't mean more than shared the good news. These Christians were far from professional preachers, but simple witnesses. They were amateur missionaries. How many of you know very often it's not a clear, extensive, um, amazingly like great clarity in terms of communicating the gospel, like with every single point, every single fine and a minor point that gets people saved. I mean, that's good, and that's what we should aim for. But very often, that's not what happens. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, some, an, an individual will sow the seed, and then another person will come along and do what? They'll water it. Now, what do they, what do they water the seed with? They water the seed with the same... The same thing, because the, 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 the word is the seed. The word is the water. The word is actually even the, the fork that turns over the soil. But what makes the difference? It's God adding the increase. Thank you, Bertram. That's what makes the difference. And that's what these individuals did. They just shared it as best they knew. And it had amazing, amazingly powerful effect. That's what it says in Romans 1 about the gospel, right? It is the power of God unto salvation. It's, the, it's that good news that actually stimulates salvation, brings it about. So we can be encouraged this morning, even if we ain't been, like myself and Pastor Ephraim want to go, to Oak Hill. Even if you ain't been to Bible school, like my brother, Esso, where is he at? Over the back. Up in Durham, studying theology. Now, you know that we believe it's good to study theology. But don't, but don't feel like, oh, well, you know what, until I do that, I can't share the gospel. Mm -mm, that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's the simple communication of the gospel that is most effective and powerful. They preached the word wherever they went. Now, what is plain is that the devil who lurks behind most, if not all, persecution in the church. It's hot in here, isn't it? Wow. I thought the devil in it reminded me that I'm hot. <laughs> the devil overreached himself. His attack had the opposite effect to that which he had intended. Instead of smothering the gospel, persecution succeeded only in spreading it. As Bengal com commented, he said, the wind, the wind just increases the fire. 
the wind just just increases the flame. My man was the, the devil was breathing pure oxygen <laughs> on the flame of the church to the point where it become like in Australia. One of them fires that you know what you can't control. Like a forest fire. This all came about as a result of a tragedy. Stephen's death. Do you think he died in vain? He didn't die in vain. But does that make death any easier to handle? No. But yes. We need to have a good, clear biblical framework within which we can understand suffering. We need to have a good, clear biblical framework within which we can understand suffering. So, to the Christian, I encourage you to trust in the Lord like Job, regardless of your circumstances. Remember, Job was in it and he couldn't see what it really was, yet we get to see the whole, we step back and see not Job, but the whole picture. And we're like, whoa, Job never saw that. Job never had the Old and New Testament to turn to for encouragement. And we step back and we see not only what was going on, but we step back and see what was going on. To the point where the Lord says, look, have you seen my servant Job? He's heavy. And God was able to prove that. Can the Lord say the same about you? Look at my 21st century, right? June 2009. Can the Lord say, when you're in your job at work, can the Lord say, as the, as, as the devil comes to accuse the brethren, right, before God, can the Lord say, oh, it's you again. All right, then, whatever. Have you seen my servant blankety blank at work? Look, have you seen them? And the, devil's, and the devil looks at you and he's like, oh, they only serve you. And check it, they're serving you, right? They're only serving you because you're blessing them. And maybe he is. But then what happens when the blessing disappears? Can the Lord still say, hey, and what? Look, look at my servant, regardless of all that you said, like they only serve me because I'm blessing them. No, have you seen my servant, even though they're going through drama? Hey, now that's an individual who will go through that and can bring glory to God in that sense, in that invisible sense. That's the individual that understands God's agenda. That's the individual who says, you know what? Even though he slay me, seemingly, even though it seems like God is against me. I mean, the Bible says that he's not. If God be for you, who can be against you, right? But that's what it seems like. Yet you still stand firm. Even though he slays me, yet will I praise him. Hey. God help me. God help us. That's, that's what we want to be, right? Here I go again.
We need to have a good, clear, biblical framework within which we can understand suffering. So like I said, to the Christian, I'm going to talk to my brothers and sisters right now. To you, I encourage you, regardless of what your circumstances are, that you remain faithful. Because the Lord may just be using you with regards to his agenda like Stephen. Now look at verse 5 and verse 8 as we get ready to close. Now I said I'm going to speak to my brothers and sisters, yeah? Have I got any family up in here, yeah? Right. Verse 5 to verse 8, watch carefully. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and I'm only going to skim this, we're going to get into it next week, but... Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Powerful, you know what I'm saying, testimony to the goodness and the, the grace of God and the gospel. And bare people respond. Multitudes, one time. Not even nothing long. Well, I'm going to wait another five minutes because I know there's someone in here who... And the Lord is, they never had to bother with that. One time. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For un- now who wouldn't? Look what happens. For unclean spirit, spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed. Imagine you see someone who's paralyzed. Quadriplegic. Get healed. Genuinely. Not the stuff that we quote unquote see all the time. I mean, genuinely, where they can go doctor and get it properly verified. And hey, all the doctor would get saved. Genuine miracles they see Philip doing. Lame people being healed. And look at the result, verse 8. Check it. Through all the pain and the suffering and the difficulty, look at the result. And there was great joy in that city imagine how many possessed people crippled physically and spiritually lame weak unattended and lonely people not a few people twice in verse 7 it says what not a few many because of Stephen and now Philip check it Philip never had to be here Philip could have been there, which was home. Or he could have even come to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 when all of the Jews came to Jerusalem for the, for, the, for, the, for the festival, which was what? Pentecost. Maybe he had traveled and boom, wham, it's like, here come the disciples spilling out the house and speaking in different languages and everyone's like, not just some gobbledygook that no one can understand. Languages that man's was like, wait a minute, he's speaking French. Or he's speaking in my language, German. It says from different parts of the world they came based on the fact that they spoke them like, and they heard the disciples speaking in their language. Well, them brothers are from, them, them brothers are like roadmen, like never been outside of their ends. They don't know nothing about, it's like, I remember going to Jamaica back in the, in the, in the 80s, and people would say that I come from foreign. 
I come from foreign. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some would say you're English, because they could tell. Some of them not traveled, ain't watched much telly. And they said, you come from foreign. I'm like, yeah, I come from foreign. In their mind, they don't think what I'm thinking. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm from a place abroad, a foreign place called England. In their mind, foreign is a country. You come from foreign. You come from a, a, a place called foreign. Now, am I hating on Jamaica? Of course not. I'm Jamaican. But I'm, I'm talking about just, just an ignorant perspective. Do you know what I'm saying? And, oh, Lord, help me. They see all of this happening. And they're amazed. And they're like, whoa. And they begin to respond. They begin to respond. And they respond in great joy. It's amazing what's happening. It's amazing what's taking place. God genuinely has visited us. Many begin to experience great joy. Have you, as an individual, have you been blessed and benefited by being a part of the body of Christ? Not because you've got more money in the bank that you can spend. Not because you've got a, a 09 plate on your car. No, can you genuinely say, apart from them things, that you've been benefited and blessed by being a Christian? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, I suspect that you have, or you wouldn't be here giving thanks, wanting to know more about this great God that you and I both serve. Or, as I digress from our Christian brothers and sisters, or if you're not a Christian, I sense that you are here, maybe not for that same reason, maybe for that reason, not knowing it. Maybe you're here because you're like, you know what? I've got questions going around in my mind, like, is there, is there more to life? I mean, I would hope that that's the kind of thing going through your mind if you're not a Christian, because surely you've got better things to do with your time, especially Sunday morning. It's one of the only days you get a line, if, you know what I'm saying, if you're working. You'd be like, surely you've got better things to do with your time. You don't have time to waste. Do you? Well, let's see if we have time to waste. How many people got an iPhone? You know I'm a Mac advocate, right? Well, I'm not trying to sell iPhones or Mac products today at all. Even though I've got my MacBook Pro sitting on the side there. Two gigahertz processor and <laughs> iPhone. The iPhone is a, is a unique phone, right? One of the Amazing things about the iPhone is that you can download from like cyberspace these things called apps. Now check it, I don't even have an iPhone. But you can download, I'm going to try and get one next time on my next upgrade. <laughs> you can download, last time round I felt like the Lord said no, you can't have one. I really, like, you know they've been out for a while, I was like getting ready, I seen them come out, I knew what they was about, boom, ready to go get my, my contract done. I felt like this big old force field was in front of me, like the Lord, and, I just, and I was like what's going on? Why? What? It's my money. It's a, actually, it's not even my money. I'm getting a free upgrade. Trans, moving over from T-Mobile to O2. It's like, why not? 
But it was like, and, and all I can say is, I suspect the Lord was saying to me, you know what, Robert, you can't have one. And that sounds so fickle and so silly and so simple. You'd be like, so what's the big deal? Listen, it was a big deal to me. So I kind of stopped getting over enamored with Apple products. And now a year and a half, two years later, I feel like the Lord has given me license to buy one. So I'm going to get one next time around. So, so look. If you got an iPhone, you can download these things called apps, and they're different programs, and there's enough of them you can download, loads of different types. Now, there's this one particular one that me and Marky was talking about last week. It's called, now remember, forgive me for my extrapolation, because I will take us off the point. The point is, do you have time to waste? My answer to that is, I don't think so. And if you download this particular app called Death Cow, It will remind you that you don't have time to waste. Because Death Calc predicts, check it, your life expectancy. You type in your date of birth, right? And then you type in whether you're a smoker or if you're a drinker, then you type in whether or not you do exercise. Sometimes it might be, I don't know, five times a week you might exercise, or if you're someone who kind of ain't really on it like that, but you're a two-time-a-week person, you do your exercises, or you never do exercise. You've got to type in all of this information. Then it will come up with your estimated death date. Now, obviously, it's all hype, right? To a degree, now, DefCalc is not one I'd recommend you download, right? <laughs> but, iDef, which is the one that Mark's got and which is the one I'm going to get, I would encourage you to get. You know, I should get commission from Mac still, from Apple. I lie? Selling these, I'm not even trying to sell the product, but iDef. iDef, on the other hand, calculates the decades, years, months, days, minutes, and seconds till your death at an estimated age of 74 years. Now, up there it's got 76. Don't watch that because that's America, right? But the average life expectancy for a male and female average in this part of the world is 74 years. Now, that's iDev. If you're actually interested, this application can be found on the iTunes store. Check it in the entertainment category. Now, knowing, check it, knowing your limited time frame. Hello. Can I ask you a few questions? Now, remember, I was talking to my brothers and my sisters. Now, I shifted from my brothers and my sisters onto those of you that don't know the Lord. And you don't know where you're going to... Where are you going to go when you die and your heart stops beating for the last time? But if you're a Christian, you can listen in. You can look at what, what, what's being said, right? Now, knowing your limited time frame, here's some questions. Can I question your vision? That's not what you see, but it's also how you see. Can I question your vision? Can I challenge your destiny as you would see it? I'm only asking the question. 
Can I challenge your destiny as you would see? Can I provoke you to consider an alternative direction? Believers, an alternative vocation, occupation, career, profession. Can I question your relationships like we did last week? I am 41 years old. According to a life expectancy of 74 years, I have how many years left? 35, no. 33, mm -mm, close. I have 32 years left, approximately. I say approximate because I'm going to be, I'm actually going to be 42 in August. So that's where the, here are my stats. How many seconds do you believe I have left on this planet if I have the blessing and the benefit of reaching 74 years. How many <clears throat> seconds do I have left? One billion, 41 million, 400,000 odd. That's how many seconds I got. Now it sounds like a lot, right? Beer time. Not of time. All right. How about in minutes? I have 17,356,680 minutes left. Hmm. Still sounds like a lot, but how about in hours? I have... 289,278 hours and counting. Now that don't sound so good. Does it? Not if you're 41, it don't. Okay, how's that in days? Look, it gets worse. How about that in days? I have 12,000, just over 12,000 days left. Now that is not funny, that's scary. Particularly when you think about it in weeks. I got 1,000, uh, you're hoping that there's gonna be another digit there, right? <laughs> I have 1,721 weeks until I'm 74 years old, and I'm 41, good. That's if I'm lucky enough to live until that time. Thank the Lord, my, my uncle is here. I, I, may God have mercy on my soul and allow me to live that long. I mean, honestly, I said it this morning on my knees to the Lord. I said, you know what? I could die right now, Lord could take me home now, and I would be satisfied. I'd, be, I'd, I'd rejoice over the fact that the past 20 years of my life, the Lord took and used for his glory. And it's, you know, trust me, it's wonderful to be able to say that. But I'm satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. Because I'm ready to go home. But there's so much more potentially to be done. Well... Whatever it is that I want to get done or whatever it is the Lord wants to get done in my life, 
I have 1,721 weeks if I'm lucky. Okay? Some of you who are older have less time. If you are 56 years old, then divide what you see behind me by two. That means cut those figures in half. And that's you. This is what they look like. You have 568 million seconds, 25 million 246 minutes, 420,768 hours. Oh, is that right? Oh, t sorry, tell a lie. My bad. <laughs> Let's do that again. If you're 56 years old, I never wrote this one down. You have 560, help me, 8 million. 36,000 seconds. In minutes, 9,467,000 odd. You have 157,000 hours, which equates to 6,574 days. That's not funny. Mm, not even over 1,000. 939 weeks. That's if you're 56. Because you only have half the time that I have left. Yeah, isn't it? True that. It makes man's itch. And, it, and you know what? Hopefully that's the aim. So that we, because you know, very often, what we don't do is, we don't think about the future. That's why enough people ain't got a pension. And then when they get to 60, they're bawling. You see, you see this, the time that we live in, you see this time frame, we don't think about, we don't think about the future. We don't think past lunch with regard to, not like, I remember back in the day, like my, my mom and dad, when they used to, every, they done everything differently. They paid their bills, like at the post office or at the bank when they were due. Never know nothing about standing order and direct debit. You know what I mean? And they never bought nothing unless they could afford it. They saved up for what they wanted and then they purchased it. We're living in a totally different age and we don't think about the future. That's why we've got eight credit cards in our wallet. And rather than, it's not wrong to have a credit card, but we need to, we need to use the credit card like you, you and I'm speaking to myself because I'm a culprit just like you. You, you, but you get the credit card and you, you pay it off every month. Now that's, all right. that, that's the credit card working for you. But when you got four grand run up on one card, who's got who? The credit card got you. A lie? I'm just talking about the day in which we live. We need to... Who's the, the Bible's out of date. Okay. All right, we've got, oh, we got a hustle now. Okay, let's say, because we've got to bring it back for the youngers, isn't it? Let's say you're 26 years old. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> let's say you're 26 years old. This is what your stats look like. And that's most of you in here, right? That's bare, bare young people. It's all good. It's all right. 
That means you've got, you've got enough time, it may seem. You have 1,514,764,000 odd seconds. You have in minutes, yeah, hey, in minutes, it's, it's going to get worse for you as well, watch. In minutes, you have 25,246,000 minutes. Hours. Oh. 420,000 hours. You have... No matter how you look at it, it don't look good. You have 17,000 days. You have just over 2,500 weeks if you're 26 years old. You know, just last week, and this was supposed to check it. How was I going to do all of this in one week? I was going to say this week, which was last week. Pastor Patrick, his brother's partner, died. She was 37 years old. And for no apparent reason, she dropped dead. Thirty-seven years old. I'm speaking to two groups of people. My brothers and my sisters, those of you that have received new life, and it's real to you. Jesus is your Lord and he's your savior. And you know that. Can I encourage you on the basis of these statistics to, one, allow yourself to be scattered. Don't fear it. God's going to take some of you to Europe, maybe Eastern Europe. God's going to take some of you back to the motherland, back to Africa. Just like God's taken some of us to Jamaica. Some of you are going to need to stay right here like the apostles in Jerusalem to continue to work right here. Because the work here can't stop. It needs to grow and grow even more than it already has. It's on us. It's on me. It's on you to obey the great commission, which is to go into all the world and preach that gospel. Because you don't have time to waste. Share that message. And to those of you that are here and you're not, you're not fully convinced that Jesus is your savior and that your sins have been forgiven. And if you were to close your eyes and your heart was to stop beating like that lady that died last week, you don't know where you're going to go. Who expected to hear the news two days ago about Michael Jackson. I mean, we didn't expect it, his fans didn't expect it, and I'm sure he didn't expect it. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. Helen, looking at Facebook, Heard believers, oh, it's so terrible. Michael Jackson's going to die. What are we going to do? Michael Jackson, rest in peace. Believers. Helen just put a message up there saying, you know what? 
The Bible says in James, what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Vapor, like when you switch the kettle on to boil it to make a cup of tea, you turn around to get the biscuits, you come back, the steam has disappeared, it's gone. That's our lives. And if you don't know Christ is your savior, can I encourage you to embrace the good news? And the only time you really can appreciate the good news is when you understand the bad news. And the bad news is you're a sinner. And don't worry, you're, you're sitting next to, uh, in a, you're in a group filled with sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Isaiah 53, we all, like sheep, have gone astray and we've all turned to our own way. The Bible defines that as sin. When you don't want to do what God says you ought to do, you want to do what you want to do. Like have sex with your girlfriend. Like tell lie. Like covet and desire things that don't belong to you. And the, and the issue is there ain't no one who hasn't broken one of those commandments. There's no one who hasn't breached that. There's no one who hasn't transgressed. You know, you, you go to the park and it says no trespassing. Oh, sorry. There's a fence that you, you, it means you can't go over that fence. And if you go over that fence, you're breaking the law. You're on somebody else's property. You can get yourself in trouble. In America, they draw for their thing and they will shoot you. Why? Because you transgressed and that's the issue. That's the problem. When you transgress God's commandments, his laws and his statutes, you step outside of what he determines for you as someone who he has created. Hello? Like, he made you. He gave you life. And on that basis, you ought to respond to him as, yes, sir, no, sir, free bags, full, sir. Now, when you don't respond like that and you're on your own thing, that categorizes you as a transgressor. And the Bible says the penalty for that is severe. And there ain't no bail that you can pay to get out. The Bible says the wages or the penalty for sin is death. And it's not just physical death, it's eternal death, which is eternal separation from God in hell. God said to Adam when he ate the fruit, here's another one they say is a quote-unquote contradiction. God said to Adam, the day in which you eat that fruit, you shall surely, what? Die. Now, everyone's like, whoa. What's it? Someone said to me at the Adventure Playground when we had family day, come on, like, you lot don't know the Bible. You need man to show you about the Bible. Come here, let me sit down, let me tell you about the Bible. Let me tell you about this God that you think that you believe in and you don't really know nothing about. Tell me. How can this God who made man that you say created the heavens and the earth, how can he be asking Adam, Adam, where are you? If he's God, he must know where Adam is. This is what the brother was running on me. I said, bruv, yeah. I said, look, I'm sitting now, you sit down. But we both ended up standing up anyway. If you were there, you probably saw it, right? It's like, then he was, <laughs> then he says to me, all right then. And it's funny because as I was answering him on that point, he then jumped onto some next point. Because he heard the answer was a substantial answer. He then jumped onto this other point about, all right, all right, all right. God said that Adam was going to die if he ate the fruit. Adam ate the fruit. Did he die? 
like he, like he made this point, you know. Did he die? Did he die? Oh, hello. No, I think Adam's still alive. He's still breathing. He's still talking. Look, he's hiding. And then God's got to go look for him because you don't know where he is, right? Funny, funny, funny. I said to the guy, look, it's not talking about physical death. And this is the point. It's talking about spiritual death. Adam was alive physically, but he died spiritually. And that which was indicative of the fact that God put him, he thrust him out of the garden, out of his presence, out of relationship. And he's now separated from God. That is death. That is what God meant when he said, you're going to die if you eat the fruit. And that's where you are if you've eaten the fruit, which is transgress God's law. He said he only had one commandment not to obey, one commandment, and he broke it. We got ten, and we break them. Tenth commandment, don't covet. Ninth commandment, don't lie. Eight, don't steal. Seven, don't commit adultery or any kind of sexual explicit sin like fornication. Six, don't what? Six, don't kill. Five, honor your mother and your father. And it's the only commandment with a promise that your days may be long upon the land. Four, keep the Sabbath holy. Three, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Two, don't bow down to any idols. And it's not just statues. It's things like cars and houses and girlfriend and boyfriend. Don't bow down. Don't, to worship just means to put great price on something to the point where you would do anything for it. Worship. That is reserved as the first commandment. It says only for one person and it's for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your might, all your mind. If you're not doing that, then you've broken the first commandment. So, hey, you're joining the, the great mass of us and those outside of these walls that have break, broken those commandments. I'm taking a bit of time, in it? It's not every week that I share the gospel, but some weeks it needs to be shared. So, if you're hearing that, for the first time, I encourage you to respond. See, that's the bad news. And like I said, you can't appreciate the good news until you hear the bad. Oh, my God. Is that, is that, is that the way things are? Oh, yo. I mean, I remember when I was in your position, if you're in here feeling like that, 20, nearly 20 years ago, St. Mark's Kennington, opposite the Oval Tube Station. Big old massive church. That's where I was, right there. God got me. Oh, my gosh. I don't even need to you to tell me to go through the commandment and tell me that I'm a sinner. I know that. If I'm honest, I know that. But what I never knew was the penalty. And that's the penalty. And it's severe. And there's only one way out. There's only one, what do they call them cards in Monopoly? Chance and community chess. Get out of jail. There's only one get out of jail free card in the pack. And it ain't Muhammad, and it's not Krishna or Buddha. It's Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus. So if you're hearing that, fam, 
I encourage you to respond. Hey, it's that or take the penalty. The choice is yours, isn't it? It's simple. It ain't hard. Unless you want to live your life how you want to live it and continue to live on the other side of the line in that area of transgression. You can't, be, you, you can't expect nothing when God rolls up on you on the day of judgment and says, okay, the clock run out. The 90 minutes is over. Hey, you've had 1,514,764,000 seconds. And in all of that, you rejected me. So I'm now going to give you, obviously, what you want, which is you don't want me in your life. It's, it's evident. Let's, wait, where's the angel? Yeah, the AVD angel. Let's play back the DVD. And we got time. No one ain't going nowhere. We can sit down and watch the whole of your life so that God can say, See? Now that's for you if you're hearing this for the first time. And maybe you're hearing this for the 10th, 15th, 20th, 30th time. My encouragement to you would be to respond, not to me, but respond to the God who made you. This is desire to save you. I encourage you to respond. Simple, just say, God, you know what? I realize what I've done. I'm undone. I'm, oh my gosh, like Adam in the garden. I'm, I'm naked. You've proper exposed me. Forgive me. That's all I can ask. I fall at your mercy. Please forgive me. And He will. He will. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, that's what so many of us have experienced. The goodness and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. <sighs> Next week, we're going to pick up from verse 5. And we're going to see God's agenda continue, not only to be fulfilled, but fulfilled in multiplied fashion. Uh, would you join with me as we pray? Father, we as believers are grateful for all that you've done. Every time we hear the gospel, we're reminded how we were, how we were snatched from the jaws of destruction. Some of us barely saved. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Us giving our lives up, that is our old lives, that weren't really satisfying us anyway. Us giving up that old life. Lord, how wonderful it was you bringing us to that point. Because we look at that old life with disdain. Sometimes it tries to creep back up on us, Lord. Help us to wrestle off that old life. Because we are, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Father, Bring them new things into our lives. Especially for those of us who are still living more so the old life. And help us to get on your page, Lord. Help us to get on your agenda. And help us to start living for you. How else ought we to now live? If Jesus gave up his life for us, how could we do anything other than but give up our lives? And Father, for 
those who are here today that don't know you, Lord, that you desire to bring into right relationship. On the opposite to Adam, you want to bring them from the outside in so they can begin to enjoy relationship with you. And also, the other tree that doesn't really get much highlighted, which is the tree of life. Lord, bring them into the garden today, I pray. Open up the eyes of their understanding. Grant them repentance, Father. Pour out your mercy and your grace upon them, Lord, and let them be overcome, first of all, Lord, with godly sorrow, godly sorrow for their sins, recognizing what they've done and how they put Christ Jesus on the cross, how we put him on the cross because of our ill doings and that he bled a lamb to the slaughter he who was the actual perfect sacrifice the innocent for the guilty in order that we might be saved Father I pray that you'd make that so real so individuals who are today here Lord who are hearing this and grasping it for the first time and that you would save them. That you would save them, Lord. And that they would know it. They'd have, they'd, they'd have that, they would have that witness of your spirit. That they are the children of God. Allow that to take place today, Lord, I pray.